tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Brothers and Sisters in Strength met recently to celebrate what was the 11th year of the Sordex Summer Strong Conference in South Kakalaki. In attendance were members of the Power Athlete HQ crew, and the goal was simple, drinking the knowledge whilst drinking in the beers. The mission was successfully accomplished, and not without a story or two for the road. Tune in this week to hear the guys debate about training takeaways and some differing opinions that might surprise you from the speakers at Sornex Summerstrong. Going to one of the Sornex Summerstrong revivals is like the best family reunion you've ever had. It's how legends are made and how lore is passed down. Here's to you, Sornex. This is episode 262. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's that time again for the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. conditioning. In, Power Athlete in, Radio. In, in. Little preface, the whole team here is really fucking hungry. So this could go really fast, really slow. We could get some hanger going, maybe a little debate over, uh, I don't know, religion. Huh? Intelligent design versus creation uh-huh. versus uh, just aliens. Huh? Oh. Hang on. Before we get into the good shit, though, uh, this episode, it's that time of year, people, is brought to you by... The Power Athlete Symposium, a three-day experience. I was going to say extravaganza, but you can it, go with experience. In Austin, Texas. It's amazing. As you all... Extravagant well, experience. Well, you know, maybe, maybe these folks don't know. Three-day speaker experience benefiting Wade's Army, our 501c3 charity, that is bringing the fight to neuroblastoma. So it is Wade's Army season, people. It is symposium season. Speakers are TBD, but... It's that time. If you want to learn more about it, powerathletehq.com slash symposium. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, a three-day speaker experience. Are there any other ones of those out in America? Like, who, who else is out there that's doing that? I have an answer for you. Sorenex and the three of us are fresh off the plane. Not so fresh over there, Tex. From South Carolina and Sornex HQ, we just experienced their Summer Strong Conference, or what would you consider it? Uh, they call it the Strength Revival, uh, which I think really hits home with it. It's really just a coming together of some of the brightest minds in strength and conditioning. And for us, getting to see a lot of our old friends and new mm-hmm. friends and make good friends and then get some lift some weights, hear some great speakers, eat some amazing food, and then have a total, uh, you know, large amount of drinks and then get to throw some axes. Yeah, for sure. And hang on. So I guess backing up, if you don't know who or what a Sorenex is, their equipment manufacturer, any fucking big time fucking weight room, that they have like the yeah. most. If, they, if, have, they, they say that they build rigs and racks that are going to outlive you. Yeah, like I you mean. The purchaser. Uh, and I believe it. The equipment we have here, I tell my daughters, is like you guys will be old and training on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the realm of professional sports and really college sports, if you do not have a Sorenex built weight room, uh, as a Division One NCAA college or professional team, you are behind the eight ball. They build these incredible meccas to, you know, Tennessee and Northwestern and, you know, Texas and everywhere you walk into, everybody sports a uh, Sornex place just because it's the best of the best. Made here in America. Um, I actually had the opportunity to get in there and weld up and fab with the guys and see their equipment firsthand. And they do the best there is in the world. And uh, it's high quality. And really at this point, man, they are... Uh, really the only game in town when it comes to talking about the best equipment on the planet. Yeah, so at their headquarters, they host 
Summer Strong, which this is their 11th edition of this. And some background on that, Tex, correct me if I'm wrong, it was Pop's birthday, right? Yes. So Pop's birthday, so we Richard Soren. Richard Soren. Yeah. Richard Soren is Bert Soren's father, and he the, I guess the, the original, the creator of Soren, Soren X exercise equipment. And beautiful story. So if you want to click back to a few episodes that we've recorded with Bert, he goes into the experience. And essentially, his father wasn't satisfied with the equipment that, I guess, was being used at high schools and colleges and said, fuck it, man, I can do it better. And that was the initiation of the business. And then Summer Strong is essentially, as John said, a revival, a strength revival. So connecting with friends that they've, they've gone in and met throughout this whole experience, this whole ride. And it, it is a genuine celebration. He pops is hanging out. He's lifting with the whole crew, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, we, we get to kick it with the whole, the whole speakers are not just speaking. They are hanging out for the three or four days and really connecting with all the people there and a genuine experience. John spoke at 10, and now we got to really go in and just hang out, network, and, you know, we, we had a, our whole, a whole crew of Block One boys. So and girl. It was a great time. Yeah, so we had, uh, you know, Power Athletes showed up in force, and it was great. It was awesome to... Uh, not only see the you know the presence of power athlete there, but also you know in terms of support for uh, for Sornext for us to show up with that many people and everybody be engaged and really ready to learn something. So and asking questions, David MCK shout out man, he was dialed into every single presentation. Yeah, and damned if he didn't have his hand up at the end to ask but, a question. I mean that's why you go to things like this. Like you you know you can kind of live in a bubble, you can live within you know your community, your friends, whatnot, and it takes you to kind of go out to meet new people. I mean think of all the new relationships and the new people we met, uh, new people for the podcast. Um, you know, new alliances, just really, you know, some pretty heady people. I mean, uh, one of the more interesting people we got to meet was Gunnar Peterson, um, you know, from, uh, you know, strength coach for the Lakers and, you know, fame for training Kim Kardashian and J-Lo and a bunch of the Hollywood celebrities and, you know, super down to earth, just really funny, insightful guy. And we'll have him here on the podcast and uh, hopefully connecting with him. And obviously uh, Jen Wiederstrom from The Biggest Loser, got to meet her and, um, and- you know, ask her to Luke's wedding. Yes. Fun fact, uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> listeners of the podcast, the solicitation doesn't just end on this oh, yeah. microphone into your earbuds. Everywhere we go, if we're ordering a burrito at a Chipotle and there's a gal over there with a twinkle in her eye that might just be Texas type, we'll, we'll inquire. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing, June 9? Uh, you know, Oddly enough, we had a couple submissions mm-hmm. for young ladies for Texas yeah. Deal. I think one of them was there, but I didn't get a chance to meet um, her, so I'm a little disappointed. She introduced herself. But she didn't come over and talk to me. Very courageously, no. Well, I mean, she, she, was, didn't. She, she would introduce herself to you, but not to me and not to Luke. I mean, or did she? Maybe they're just stuck in me. I did not get to meet this young lady. She, she probably needed us to co-sign and to sign off on this thing mm-hmm. because, you know, Texas is a, uh, you know. Hey, we're a team, people. Like that, we all have to turn our keys. It's like Seinfeld, you know. Like, Tex just doesn't turn his own key. We all uh, turn. I the turn key. my key a lot. Oh, it's do just you? I don't get the other turns from these guys. <laughs> or John's turning my key, and uh, <laughs> I turn. I well, no, somebody's turning your key. And then also listen, or got to got to get face to face introduction with some of our loyal Power Athlete Radio listeners. I think we're up to twelve now. Yeah. Met two of them. Uh, and that was their joke. Honestly, like multiple guys came up and they said, hey, I'm that seventh listener. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's 12 now. And so y'all are hitting the dead, the uh, beating that dead horse. I love it. Keep on going. Yeah, keep well, just the repeater. Or, or people asking me, like, hey, asking me specific questions on the podcast. Hey, like on episode uh, 157, you said this. And I'm like, 
I don't even remember that. I mean, I tell these guys constantly I black out before I do this. So you guys have seen obviously old school where he's like a blacked out would happen. That happens to me. But I, it, for those interested in Bert and Pop's story and Sorenex, uh, two, I got episode 192, 156, and 224. Those are all Bert Soren sagas. And he's a episode triple. 157 is John Anderson. So <laughs> what? I'm just the random number John pulled out. But. Oh, with 157. Uh, the best episode that we've ever had is one that we recorded with Sornex. was actually on site at the hunting lodge in South Carolina. Uh, after you missed that shot, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who said I missed? <laughs> I heard it hit something. We Everyone? Just didn't, we just didn't find the... Uh, it was too All dark. All we know is that bullet hit that night, the flat earth that we <laughs> yeah. stand on, and it ricocheted right off of the, right off of the fucking disc, and like, it went off over the ice you, edge. You shot enough to know when you hit the ground. It was like... I heard the thump, and I was like, to the point where I actually reloaded and tried to get in on another animal because I was so sure I knocked it down. Mm-hmm. And then we went out there, and I was like, man, I saw that thing hit. And uh, he's like, well, did you hear it? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you hit the ground? I'm like, no. Let's go that, find this That thing. specific episode, 192, also had the greatest movie debate of all time. That yeah. Mm-hmm. 19, what was it, 1984 versus 95? Uh, uh, 94. 94, 94 versus, versus 85. Victor, yeah. Yeah, you remember correct. 94 85. was the winner. Uh, 94 was not the winner. <laughs> yes, it was. It, no. Uh, I, dude, Bert and I decimated you. No way. Uh, We're not can... reliving this, dude. You can't beat the Dumb and Dumber, the Forrest Gumps, the 1994s. <sighs> is, is, no, we smoked it. Uh, anybody who wants to go back and listen to that one, you'll hear a clear victory of Bert and I crushing Tex. I believe it. What? What? It's two on one. You don't have my back? It was a double team. Listen, I'm not committing to any year. You know what I mean? I'm more of like a 2000. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't 2012 matter. Fast and Furious. Yeah, it doesn't seven. matter to Luke. <laughs> He's like, what year did Game of Thrones come out? Mm-hmm. It's not a movie. But, uh, so in terms of speakers, Bert gave an awesome speech, mm-hmm. right? So building off his appearance from the 2017 symposium. Uh, with, with Bert's talk, I really just goes back to that uh, being authentic and being legendary, which is really the um, you know the big hashtag and what you'll see quite oftenly uh, often associated with Sornex is uh, be legendary, do something of note worth, uh, you know, be somebody that somebody remembers. Uh, you know, the the old joke is uh, when you die, nobody will sing you know, sing uh, tales of your heroics like that idea, and like be legendary, and they've really kind of grafted into that uh, idea of like. You know, bring good people around, do epic shit, like uh, keep moving forward and be the best in the world at what you do. And, you know, Sornex has really hit that niche of like high end. I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, the you know, it's just cost prohibitive for the, you know, the micro gym to have Sornex in their place. But that's really not their market. You know, Rogue and other places handle that market. Theirs is uh, we want to work with, you know, the the end user at the highest level, which looks like professional sports. And really they, they build these meccas. Uh, they build some incredible weight rooms, just seeing the pictures. If you go on their Instagram or you go on any of their social media is incredible. Um, you know, and the one thing which has always been really good, uh, you know, I've really always enjoyed my time around Bert is the idea of like understanding where you came from and understanding the branding piece and then moving forward and having that vision and then getting everybody to clue into that vision. And, uh, it, it always amazes me. I mean, cause one, Bert was an only child and two, he's a thrower. So he's not a team sport guy, but yet he runs that thing like he's running the team. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm more than happy to play on that team. I guess jumping into my notes here, uh, I'd love to lead off with Carizzi. So we just had him on the podcast for the second time. And then I think it's Carizzi. Carizzi. 
Yeah, because he corrected me. He was hammered. He's like, Wilborn, you've been fucking up my name for the whole time. Do you do it on purpose? And I'm like, well, how do you say it? And he's like, it's Karitzi. And I'm like, Karitz? Wow, I, fu- I have been fucking that one up. Well, now we know. Yeah. Now everyone Josh. <laughs> and I think I forgot I called him like his like, wrong first name. And he's like, Ugh, And he just walked away. Sounds about right. Yeah. So did he lead off? He did. Yeah, he lead yeah, off fucking the- on volume 10. Like he did. He, that was awesome how he was just shredding just shredding into that microphone fucking with his ROTC background or whatever the fuck, uh, his military schooling background. Well, he was a Citadel guy, I think, isn't he? Well, coach, yeah. coach at Citadel. He's a D3 all-star. Yeah. Athlete. Well, it's where all the good ones come out of. Yep. Uh, but one interesting thing that I guess uh, was part of our conversation when I went out there and he introduced during the presentation is combine versus combat. And it's, you know, teaching, teaching a movement versus just fucking letting your athletes go so combine it's i guess how he defines any technical education of movement that he has for his guys and then he showed examples of combat where it's shit man i'm just going to focus on the effort and we're going to you know push these guys to their where they can't take themselves right using one of our lines but uh how he laid it out i really appreciated and exposing people in the crowd to that. There was like 500 people there. That's mm-hmm. big. big and, event. Like, and the audience there is predominantly like weight room strength coach, right? I mean, is that what you picked We're up on? We're enthusiasts. Yeah. I mean, we just know the, know the strength coaches, right? So they stick out a little bit more, but there was just a lot of people that we didn't connect with, I imagine. Enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. So just in terms of like in messaging with that, I think it gives insight to if you haven't heard Karitzi's story, uh, he comes into this infancy, the pro- infancy of a strength program for a football team and has to go through these these various waves of development where it was first just like, all right, we got to fucking get these guys mentally tough, right? Then it came down to physically tough. Then it's like, well, uh, are we going to be a big, strong program? No. Coach says we're not going to be. We're going to be fucking fast and in shape. So then and that's athletic. how. Yep. And that's how his, his training swaps and you know i didn't get a chance to poke at him a little bit but you know the concept of the servant versus the uh uh, remind me of that article text being a servant to a coach versus a service to a coach right and it sounds like carizzi just accepts and not not in the sense of a uh negative connotation but he accepts like he is a servant to the football coach he trusts that football coach and in being in establishing uh, that I relationship think that was brett bartholomew uh, brought that idea of like servant uh, versus service Szymanski. Yeah, Szymanski. Szymanski. that's right that's right but um he's bought in right and it sounds like it just makes it real fucking easy when you accept reality commit to the or accept the circumstances and move on right and say Coach wants it this way. I'm going to make these guys this way, right? And it feels like he's ready to pivot at any time. If coach came back and said, no, we're going to be big, bag, big and strong. You got it, coach. Boom. And he's going to make the change to make it happen, right? Well, I mean, I think a good coach works within the, the framework of which he's provided. So I think for their school, uh, you know, that you go out and you say, hey, you know what, we're going to recruit these guys and they might not get the top players because they are not a, uh, you know, division. They're not a, a, you know, Florida State and Miami. I mean, they're kind of a, a, on the lower tier. So he's working within the framework in which they have, which is what you have to do. I mean, if you got fast guys and you got guys that can hustle and move, and you bring in a guy uh, like Jim to come in and you know coach these guys up, and if you guys follow his Instagram, which I do, uh, it's inspiring to watch these guys get out and work and how hard he pushes them. And he's really showing these guys that you know that hard work and effort 
and being able to play the game as it should be played still matters. That uh, all the talent and athleticism and um, you know, you know, uh, you know, genetic kind of makeup, uh, you know, will only take you some far, uh, so far at sometimes you're just going to get your ass beat. So, uh, I love seeing what he does with this guys. I love seeing, um, you know, how he really puts him front and center and it's never about him. And, uh, he's got a great plan attack and he works within the framework of which he's provided. He's not saying like, Hey, we're, you know, I can't be successful because we're not recruiting the right people. And, um, you know, you'll never hear that from that guy. So no, he's a real rock star. And I, I think in the near future, we're going to hear his name associated with some other places that are maybe a little higher up. Yeah, but wait a minute. How about when his boys up on the hill were throwing axes and doing push-ups? Uh, yeah, they were. Let's sell them out. I didn't see this. Oh, dude. Just uh, the, so, so we were up. Um, the saddest half so, push-ups. So one of the coolest things was, uh, you know, Bert has, uh, Sornex has a relationship with uh, Southern Grind, which is Zach Brown's company that builds knives, and they build these throwing axes. So they had set up a couple of these, you know, I think they were 36 by 48 uh, wood blocks, and we were out there throwing axes. So it was fun. I got to go up there and throw axes with Gunner and everybody, and we're out there throwing. And uh, Jim's dudes come up, his two assistants, and they're over there throwing axes poorly. And um, as for punishment, they were like, after they threw it bad, they were dropping down and giving me push-ups that uh, my six-year-old daughters would be embarrassed to do. They would shame him, shame them on push-ups. Like chest nowhere near the ground, nowhere near lock-up. They're giving me about three inches of uh, range of motion. And I was like, seriously? I was like, has Karitzi seen these? These are fucking awful. And uh, I started riding the dudes. Now, I'd had a couple, you know, drinks. So, you know, as you know, I mean, we're out there throwing axes, doing man shit and having a couple drinks. We're going to talk some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, these dudes weren't at all ready to talk some shit. And no, not to the big guy. No, no. not to me. And I was like, bring it. You think I'm fucking be, yeah, seriously, you guys look like a bunch of dipshits. Don't do show up and do this. I'm going to go get your fucking head man and fucking belittle him. And uh, so they left and and then he, he asked me about it. I was like, hey, what's up with those fucking push-ups? So um, I don't actually know if they were ready for my humor that day, but I felt like throwing but it But you out. know what? The fucking universe dealt it out to them. Intelligent design. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it was more of an evolution of things, if anything. I disagree. Uh, escalation, maybe not evolution. Another guy I appreciated, uh, Eric, Eric Serrano. Doctor Serrano. Serrano was Serrano. awesome. Yes, PT from Costa Rica. I don't know Question where he's from, but he uh, he put on a clinic, literally. So uh, he called out a few guys, one ex NFL guy and a wide receiver, and then Rudy, yeah. and just freaking put these guys in what seemed as easy positions, and anyone be able to execute, and just kind of broke these guys off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess talking about the connection between the foot, the toe, and the hamstring, yeah, really just I guess. Well, I mean, Cal Dietz brought up the same thing. I mean, yeah. we, we have for so long uh, within this power athlete program, and these guys have heard me to always talk about the idea of pushing your big toe on the ground, making sure your big toe's on the ground so that as you go do things, so you watch people drive their knees out and they roll out on the outside of their foot, you know, because of course, you know, the powers of BC should drive your knees out, but that's not the case. You have to be able to keep that big toe on the ground. And if your big toe is on the ground, you're going to lose all your force. You're not going to be able to balance. You're not going to be able to do any of this shit. And it's always nice to go and listen to, you know, people like, you know, Serrano and, and Cal Dietz get up there and really put for, uh, put forth the idea of like the big toe has to be in the ground. And then once that happens, then you can start working with around it. So um, his, his stuff was good. And I was laughing watching him up there. Just, uh, the, my other favorite thing is Rudy was wearing his uniform for the week, Nothing. which was, uh, just undies. 
And I was kind of thinking, like, uh, as I was looking at some of the pictures, I'm like, anybody else that rolled around their undies for three days? We would have been a little weird about it. But some, for some reason, Rudy just gets a pass. I mean, it's probably because he's a pretty good-looking dude and he's jacked. So it, it, it works. But uh, this, I'm thinking so, next year we, uh, we try to, like, whatever outfit Rudy is wearing, we just wear the same outfit and we mimic him. Easy day. What do you think? It's just silkies. Like, that's the outfit you can prepare for. And maybe headband. some sort of purple headband. Dude, my, my favorite story is Bert said that they, all the guys were over at his house and they were going to go, like, I don't know, get in the hot tub or something. And uh, so, like, they all, like, ended up, like, putting on, like, uh, silkies or whatever. And, like, Rudy came running downstairs and he saw him. He's like, oh, silkies. And he, like, ran back upstairs and wore silkies. And then they, like, were getting in the hot tub. He's like, oh, we're getting in the hot tub? Nice. He just, <laughs> yeah, it's great. He just thought that, like... Everybody was like nuding up to get in their underwear and he was going to be right there with them. <laughs> so, I mean, I love that guy. Let's, I want to peel back to Serrano because what he would do, let's talk a little, try to give a visual for what he was doing with these guys is basically have them lay on their belly, right? To fix in their hip position, their trunk position and have them curl their hamstrings up as far as they could with their toes flexed and ankle pointed, right? That was the first one. Yeah. And that people would cramp instantly in their hamstrings. Like, he knew it was coming, and that was when you had weak hamstrings, or we didn't really get to the bottom of it yet, but all the big thing that, I, that he kind of pushed back on, he's like, this is how stupid people are. You know, he was great. He was just fucking candid, little fucking Hispanic dude who was just blasting people, right? Is, you know, cramping, what's our first, what, what have we been taught to do with the cramp? Lengthen, right? He's like, no, 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 it's not how you fucking do it. It's actually, he was talking about continuing to, compress and provide like slack in the cramp allowing it to release neurologically and then that way you wouldn't fucking trigger again mm-hmm. and i thought that was pretty cool when he went through that idea with with rudy and but it took like three or four tries of like this forced eccentric like ma- maximal or increased range of motion to relieve the cramping right and then um hanging dudes from bars so you'd be hanging on a bar stacking your position, dropping your rib cage, tilting your pelvis forward, bending your knees behind you to, you know, knee uh, flexion and hanging like a chain or a weight across your ankles and doing isometrics that way, which is what we were fucking around with this morning, right? Mm -hmm. So it was all a lot of posterior chain stuff. And then how, how the, what you were doing with your big toe and your ankle, whether it's flexion extension would affect your ability to maintain that position, right? And be strong in those positions. And there was huge discrepancies in some of the guys. You know, your toes pointed down, your ankles plantar flexed, you're weak. Your dorsiflexed, you're strong. He's like, well, that's a problem. Or vice versa, that's a problem. You should be strong everywhere. Sure. So, um, yeah, and then what, what else was he fucking around with? Uh, like, kind of like the cross sling, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he also, I guess, teed up a lot of nutrition guidelines and basic stuff, but then I guess time ran out. Mm-hmm. So that was also another thing, like any simple adjustment or, you know, idea that we can come to the table with. I was looking forward to that. And then I guess we got to get him on the podcast to connect further. Yeah, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. But he was a wiry dude. He was a rascal, oh, man. Great. Just fucking busting Showman. balls. Yeah, yeah. Showman. Certainly his personality test would say entertainer. Zing. Like Luke's. Oh, did you guys go do the uh, Myers-Briggs? A I version know. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was, so, I guess, part of our sideline conversation uh, during the amazing meals. Interesting. Uh, I heard you were an INTP. Yep. Yeah. I'm an INTP slash INTP, uh, INTJ. That's exactly what I got. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was both, which is ironic seeing is that um, I don't really, 
uh, yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, and uh, so 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 uh, INTP. So I was an INTP or J slash P. So that was my thing. So I gotta pull mine up, but an uh, interesting in terms of also cool takeaway. So those are two exercises, I guess, that we are implementing. We also got a lot from. Mr. Kaldietz's presentation. Yeah, amazing. Um, that guy, uh, every time I hear him speak, every time I heard him present, just blows some minds and, and really just shatters a lot of preconceived notions. A lot of things that we've just come to accept as truth have, um, you know, get kicked in the balls, the proverbial balls by him. And actually his thought, his talk was uh, everything that you thought was true is wrong. Mm-hmm. And the one or way, just like it, uh, realize, what did he say? No, he said yeah, everything that like, you thought was wrong. Like his big one is, you know, we always teach bracing the idea that, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to hold my breath and I'm going to really push my belly out and I'm going to brace. And then he just did some basic muscle resistance testing and showed that it shuts the nervous system down. And then he reset the nervous system and then showed people that, you know, similar to what we always say, you know, like I want you to draw your trunk in. I want you to like, you know, imagine kind of wrapping your spine, draw in, clamp your rear molars and then be able to hit it opposed from just filling the stomach full of air, pushing the belly out and then doing different movements. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then he also got into, uh, you know, for a long time, I've heard him talk about his athletes single leg squatting and more importantly, how he's had athletes 800 pounds single leg squat. He finally showed some videos and went into detail and we were like, oh, that's how he's teaching a single mm-hmm. leg squat. So that was insightful. And to, to frame up his statement, because it, it, I wrote it down, I thought it was a great way to think is like it was something along the lines of the sooner you can accept that there are things that you believe that are wrong. It wasn't like everything's wrong, but like there are things that you believe, whether it's with work or strength and conditioning, what you believe to be true is probably wrong. The sooner you're ready to learn type deal. Like, and you can actually cover some ground, you know, whether it's as a coach or fucking just individual. Right. And that's, that was what he, that was what the mindset he took on early in his career is like the shit that I think I know is probably wrong. So let me try and prove it wrong, yeah. you know, and, and just stress test it and do that 10th man thing that we fucking talk about. Well, the, the other one too is, um, you know, we've really looked at a lot of, um, you know, remodeling of tissues since we had them on the podcast, um, you know, the effects of basically doing heavy accentuated loads or, you know, accentuated negatives. And, he posted some really cool numbers that they had done for resting heart rates and heart rate variability um, in terms of like increasing health of like the thickness of the heart and this. I mean, went through, you know, a ton of stuff and it had to do more with uh, isometric yeah, holds. Right. So heavy weighted isometric holds. And I always think isometric holds like walkouts, but he's actually doing the isometric holds at different um you know, different degrees, yeah, joint of, angles, yeah, joint angles, and like ten seconds all out, and he saw like a massive improvement in like, uh, you know, the uh, what was it like blood volume into the heart, it's mm-hmm. like, like vascular you know, elasticity vicinity. or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, really, really cool stuff that we've seen, almost similar to uh, with the blood flow restricted training with the BFR, uh, with that capillary density and like the elasticity of the wall is very similar. So there's something about you know lactic acid and being able to overload the system that's really pretty fascinating. Now I'm just gonna I'm gonna shoot take a shot over the bow. I mean, one thing Caldeets definitely cannot do is organize a fucking PowerPoint. And the problem is he's trying to fucking put like all this information on there, and it's clearly a PowerPoint for academics. The guy had 180 slides. You know what I mean? And it's unfortunate because he needs like a Harry Hepton stall to go in there and be like, matey, you need to fucking do uh, these. Yeah, he. 
in, uh, he wanted to present information and he brought a PowerPoint that was obviously for a different yeah, presentation. Yeah, yeah. And instead of kind of, you know, making sure that everything was wired up with their AV and it was in a format and this. Oh, I wasn't even talking about like the tech difficulties. That's one thing. But I'm just like the dense and the density of those slides are like purely academic. But, you know what I mean? But just the uh, the AV issues he had kind of crushed it because he was trying to show things he couldn't show it and then he mm-hmm. had to cut it po- uh, cut it short because he couldn't show what he wanted to show so he had more information he wanted to get into right and because he couldn't show the videos because they didn't format at all and they hadn't and he's he was using a pc which i even thought was more awful uh but yeah that was um uh, they needed a level of presentation or like just they should have made he like they should have made sure he was fucking dialed yeah he was sort of but even his presentation last year was fucking like crazy i mean he's understand again he's a researcher he's a super smart dude but i feel like you know uh, how many people could keep up with that fucking slideshow Us. but we did yeah no i, I was fucking yeah we yeah I, it was funny as he was talking about the big toe and he was talking about glute oh Josh, what he was talking Josh about shoot me all these looks yeah like like i'm, I'm uh-huh. looking over my shoulder like uh, uh this is fucking great because mm-hmm. how many times have we you know you got to drive your knees out and this and it's like dude your knee has got to trek over your instep we even had on um on uh train heroic the other guy posted a, a conversation from one of his buddies that was like oh uh you know if your knee treks over your toe you're going to get valgus knees and you're going to get navicular drop uh, the, you know, the knee has to, to track over the second and third toe. And I was like, no, that's totally wrong. We have plenty of people just anecdotally that I've seen squat with their knees over their insteps that don't have navicular drop. And I've seen people that, uh, drive their knees out fucking outside their toe box that are mm-hmm. having navicular drop. So that really comes down to like big toe and glute, not necessarily just position. So that's like saying like, um, you know, the reason that Spanton's wife wrecked their car was because uh, it was the car's fault opposed from, you know, she couldn't Yeah, steering wheel's in the wrong place. She's not combat ready. Yeah, well, you don't combat ready. Only Ruiz combat readies. Can't we all combat ready? Uh, only if you're ready for combat. And I don't know if... Well, I'm uh, not ready for that type of combat. I just want to really be able to get out of my parking spot quickly. But, that type of combat. But then you have to take time to get in there. What if you got to get in there quick and you don't have to, to be anywhere? When you then you in. take up two spots, get a note on your fucking windshield that says you park like an asshole, Wellborn. Uh, I mean, scratch out Wellborn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple other takeaways that I, I would love to get him back on and dive further into this is lactate retention oh. method. And I'm sure we're going to see some oh, in yeah. Field Strong. Oh, no, what you're going to see in Field Strong, you're going to see in Jack Street. So we got two new programs coming up. We have, uh, well, actually this week we, uh, or not this, the, well. They're in it right yeah, now. Yeah, they're in it right now. But uh, we have programs that have just started uh, for Jack Street, Field Strong, and Johnny Wad. And I think for Jack Street and for Field Strong, you're going to see some lactic acid threshold type work by uh, keeping lactate in the, uh, like not letting, allowing people to clear it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do some some nasty stuff where we can get a big, you know, big dose of lactate and then we're going to force them to sit in a squatted position so that we can get it to pool, which is very similar to like what's happening on the BFR stuff with the blood flow restricted, mm-hmm. which is effectively getting blood to pool and, you know, getting that lactate to sit in the muscle. And another thing is he went into conditioning and he said, yeah. like... We are in such a current mood, I guess, mm-hmm. as a fitness industry of fucking, I got to feel the burn. I got to burn out. I got to fry. You got to be in shape. And he said, when it, well, like, when it comes to, I guess, applying conditioning to athletes that have this, this goal, their specific sport, it comes down to one of four things. Conditioning is either a vascular problem, a muscle problem, a heart problem, or a lung problem. 
So we either need to look at the sport, we need to look at the individual athlete, and then build the conditioning program based off one of these four problems. You know, very similar solutions across all four of those, but I, I, he, he said it almost like it's assumed knowledge or he felt like, ah, shit, man, I don't have time to get into that. Or what he also said is you, how good a shape you need to be. You need to be well, yeah, he, in shape enough that. to be able to you know, perform your training and be able to compete at your sport. Anything more is going to take away on the mm-hmm. other end from strength, power, and speed. So how many of those coaches in that room fucking heard it? Like how many I people? I don't know. Yeah. It was just well, here's a, the problem. He was a keynote on Sunday. There weren't as many people there. But still, there was and a good I, chunk. There's 150. Well, people failed at the margin of experience, man. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, the really with the with the rise of CrossFit, we have this idea that like there's this glycolytic capacity that you can just keep fucking tapping into as a performance driver. And Cal's basically up there saying, no, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no amount of fucking work capacity is going to replace, uh, you know, high end performance that, you know, your set of 10 where, you know, you have this is never going to equate to that heavy single in but terms he, of being able to, you know, uh, maximize speed and performance. But he's also a big advocate of functional range of a back squat isn't hip crease to parallel. So there's sure. shit that he's, you know, yeah. in contrast with us. Yeah, I mean, uh, 100%, like, just for the same reason that on our uh, all of our, you know, power poles, like a power snatch and power clean, we usually catch in a, you know, in a 45 degree, we, you know, we never ask people to, to you know, catch Ride below parallel. Right. And the reason being is, uh, you know, that is not the position that the majority of sport is played in. I need you to catch in like a 45, be able to absorb a load and drive against it as a, you know, uh, as a performance tool, whereas we use the squat more as a, you know, kind of a... Uh, you know, developing the whole body, whereas he looks at the at the squat is because I don't think he does a m- very much. I don't think he does any Olympic lifting. So they look at it like, hey, we're going to use a ton of plyos and jumps, and we're going to use these in our effective range of motion. So, I mean, it's just kind of a difference in philosophy. Um, but I'll tell you this: uh, he is producing results, and there's a reason why you know he's done so well. But no, I, I really um, appreciate his triphasic and what he's doing with it. It just comes down to how do you necessarily implement that program in a garage gym environment without training partners? You know, next mm-hmm. to impossible. So, so for all you listeners out there who are like, I hope fucking John puts triphasic in. Well, we do. We uh, we have some isometric holds. Um, right. You know, we do the concentric. Uh, the accentuated negatives on big compound movements becomes very, very tricky unless you have multiple sp- training partners yeah. and people to be able to lift you up back into position. Like, hey, if I take 120% of my one arm back squat and I ride it to the bottom and I don't have two or three training partners to yeah. lift me up, put me back in the row, how am I supposed to get a set of three? Yeah, so it's not, I mean, I would venture to argue with you, John, that it's not tricky. It's just not fucking possible. Yeah. Like, there's no way. There's no way you can do it without a, without a, a well-informed training team. Yeah. Right? Training and, partners. You know, and we've seen, you know, for a majority of our people are, you know, training in a solo environment or, you know, on a serious, mm-hmm. you know, deal. And unfortunately, you have to remember that, like, you know, the 3P model, right? Is it purposeful? Yeah. It serves a purpose. Uh, is it practical? Sure, I can do it. Is it prudent? Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't always fit with Should that. it be so, done? Should it be done? And can it be done? So um, that's what kind of I get into. But also uh, understanding that, you know, I mean, he also made a good point about triphasic being a anybody program. Whereas mm-hmm. we kind of look at it and say, hey, you know what? Anybody who comes into a power athlete model is going to do some basic linear progression. Mm-hmm. and be able to drive adaptation that way. And regardless of any other program out there, I've never seen anything drive adaptation in terms of strength, size, and muscle, and just power in general, as I have seen a basic linear progression with our mm-hmm. with, with our beginners. So at odds with some shit, 
but in line with others. In fact, I was talking to some of the boys, you know, my crew, I, I built the posse while I was out there, you know, Tony B, oh. fucking Wolfie and Riggs. Dude, those are my guys. Fucking they'll take, they'll lay down in traffic for me. Well, anyways, when we had Cal Dietz on, they thought you guys were going to battle. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, fucking the same reasons we talked. Triphasic should be for beginners. Fucking squat. You shouldn't have to squat to full depth. The, ba- the barbell back squat bilaterally isn't the foundation of a program. Things like that. You know, all these stakes that he's putting the ground. But, well, but here's an issue in the same right. Uh, you have to remember uh, he's working a lot like with Louis Simmons, right? He's working with a high-end user, and he's working with people in a very specific kind of use. Um, you know, you bring in, you know, high-level athletes, and you ask them to do things, and they get better, and he's found a way to drive adaptation for those guys. I just think for the general pop person, uh, is it a little too complicated? Sure. Are there pieces that we can pull out? 100%. Uh, would I ever coach anybody to not squat below parallel? Um, not unless we were going to develop it in a sport-specific range of motion, which is what he's doing. You know, he's saying like, hey, this, you know, this is the effective range of motion for sport-specific. This is what I'm going to do, which I totally understand. I mean, uh, you know, if you go read any of uh, Verkashansky stuff, he talks about it being a GPP squat, which is a full range of motion squat, and a sport-specific squat, uh, SPP, which is you know, quarter squats, which is a, a reduced range of motion. So, and also seeing the way that Cal is doing it, especially with that single leg squat, uh, I don't know if you could effectively get below parallel. I don't think so. You can't, because if you put your knee on the ground, you're still going to be above no, parallel. Yeah, the, the way he has you set up, yeah. you wouldn't so be able to. Even if you get to the deepest range of motion, you can. Uh, the only way you could get deeper is if you kept your back leg straight and you mm-hmm. can't. If you bend your knee and it touches the ground, the hip is naturally going to be about an inch or two above parallel. So technically, you are squatting to the full range of motion for the movement. It right. just so happens that the single leg movement is, does not have as much yeah, range of motion as and the you know, squat. What I thought was interesting that w- we've both come to the same conclusion in w- when we're talking about kind of our stepping, our split squatting, and our lunging recently – that there's two there's two variations to this, sure. isn't there? Right? There's this. Um, what, what did he call it? There's a variation of a lunge where you have a forward shin angle, mm-hmm. and then he, there's a variation of a lunge where you have a vertical shin angle or as close to vertical, sure. right? And he referred to them as two. I may have written it down, but I feel like one was like sprint specific lunge or my yeah. my my training lunge yeah. or something like that. He had he had qualified but, either one. But I mean how how crazy is it you have guys like Dan John and Mark Ripto who think you should never lunge. I remember Rippian like lunges make people sore, they're stupid. No nobody should ever lunge. And you have Dan John saying, you know what, nobody should ever lunge, which is ironic seeing as he's a thrower. And think about the amount of time that throwers are on one leg. Like why wouldn't you do something that kind of put one leg kind of like, you know, one leg forward, one leg back. So to mm-hmm. me, uh, just the fact that, you know, I don't understand it. I think it's useless. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and then we've always said that, man, if the majority of your training comes from bilateral hip hinging, you're going to be a, you know, deficient athlete in terms of moving. Uh, you know, Cal made a point like that. And, and he's like, you know, we have drove adaptation and seen our athletes do better out of this position. And when he, we saw the videos and we saw how he was teaching it, we were like, wow, that's a, very specific movement. I mean, it's like a hat feet. It's a single leg 
safety bar Hatfield lunging squat with slight with heel elevation with, with heel elevation. So an active toe, so the heels up and you're driving all that weight forward on your big toe on the front. I mean, which makes sense mm-hmm. seeing the majority of sprinting and change direction is done on your toes. Mm-hmm. So why would you put it flat? So, I mean, yeah, so all the variation he, in, he injects into this, yeah. these simple movements, it, ma- it makes sense why you would have that variation. But then John, going back to a point you made earlier is it's not even just the general pop athlete. It's the coach behind the wheel like how many folks have the was he 15 years in the his job something like that more than that you know but in his specific job at i mean he's using heart rate variability he's using a mega wave i mean he's that that has the bandwidth not only to understand the the feedback and output from these variables but also to do a longitudinal analysis and determine when to pull those levers like I don't think that's practical. It, it might be right. It might be more precise. You know what I mean? In terms 18 of, years at Minnesota. Yeah, okay, no, so, but, but how many fucking people showed up in that room do you think could actually pull that off? Like, uh, very few, he's, right? He's one in a million, man. He, um, you know, just the way he's looking at things and the models and whatnot and looking for ways to tweak things, both, uh, you know, training-wise, both with, um, you know, modalities and then nutrition and this. And, I mean, and he has a way to check everything. So he uses, like, the guys from Omega Wave, he got one, and then they called him because the way he was using it was not how they intended it, and the way he uses it is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, you know, he was talking about um, uh, who's the guy that we had, um, Charlie Francis, uh, Derek Johnson. Hanson. Hanson. Yeah, well, he, he was talking about Derek Hanson working with him, talking about EMS, how they were using it, checking fiber type, and he was like, oh, I can do it this way. So, I mean, he um, uh, is in terms of people that are not following anybody's path and just kind of, sh- you know, cutting and hacking their own and working their way and figuring out his own path. I would say in terms of strength coaching, he's as far up there as anybody. So clearly, people, we were fucking pretty big fans of Cal Dietz. Oh, total fanboys. Yeah. Uh, just it, it, a lot of stuff that was easily breezed over. I think we were in the position to Bre- like breeze, breezed. <laughs> we were we were in the Did position have to the opportunity on. to hang out with the breeze, and it was just so um, such a breath of fresh air to hang out with a man that wonderful. Just a real giver. No, the bre- nobody holds down the breeze. No, I mean, uh, yeah. So we got a chance to hang with the breeze, which is always good. So um, you know, I was glad he's uh, he's married, he's rocking it now, and doing some good stuff. So I'm, I'm happy for some success for him. And I guess for any potential future participant of Summer Strong, the fucking food's awesome, man. I don't know. That's like Dude, what. So there's that's a, the reason. So there's a few things when I think when you go to an event or a party or something, you know, that you're you're rated on that really can be defining a break, like make or break. One is food, and the other is music, right? Mm-hmm. The background music at a cocktail party or some shit like that. But the food, fucking, I think those fucking welder boys, your boys, your little people, fucking nailed it, dude. Yeah, these guys give me a bad time because I'm over there working with the little guys the whole time. You know, the uh, uh, all, I don't all, think we give you a bad time. <laughs> no, um, well, imaginary bad time. Uh, uh, like I said, I had the opportunity to go in early with those guy with the uh, with the crew from Sornex, who's their fab crew, and work out or train and weld with them, and got a lot of feedback from Johnny and the guys about you know what I was doing to try to up my game. And then the best part is those guys were out there cooking all the food. I mean, they must have cooked six hundred pounds of steak I every mean, day. Yeah, they cooked you twice know, a day. Yes. six hundred pounds of meat twice a day. And they were cooking like a th- they cooked a thousand uh, potatoes in the uh, in their powder coat oven, which is funny because they were rotating in potatoes with. Uh, with the racks they were powder coating because they have their own powder coating facility. Um, just seeing what those guys were doing over there, talking about, you know, 
turbo outputs and how you can get, you know, 1200 horsepower out of a five, three turbo with, you know, two seventy seven millimeter turbos. And it was cool, man. Those guys are all car guys. They're all fabrication dudes and all like build, you know, race cars and motorcycles. And so it was cool. And those dudes can fucking barbecue. So if they can weld and they can barbecue and they're cool cats and we can drink some beer, I'm pretty excited to hang out. Yeah, that was epic, man. I thought they fucking crushed that out of the park. Yeah, for experience, uh, I learned a lot from one of the speakers, Pat Ivey. So he was a former coach at University of Missouri and uh, I guess showed his old, his, his old football strength and conditioning staff and it was like freaking Mike Holgram and the Packers. Right, he had Gruden, he had uh, all these guys that are now head NFL head coaches, freaking uh, Pat Ivey strength staff. You had the the Brian Manns, you had all these guys that were up there that are now their heads. So hearing his freaking up and down journey as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, and the transition to the academic side, and then back to strength and conditioning. So he he hooked up with Kaz Kaz. Cause, cause, uh, John's boy from, he was at the chiefs. Yeah. With the chiefs. Yeah. He went to Baylor and then he went to, I guess, Southern Arkansas. So this road led back to Southern Arkansas and now he's taken over as the head because cause went to SMU. Hmm. So he's in Dallas. We've got to oh. get up with him. I'm gonna hit him up. But again, hearing that kind of the, the up and down the journey in real life, cause the man's got freaking, you know, wife and kids, but he always had, you know, his, his brother and his boys kind of making sure he landed on his feet. So sure. it was an awesome experience to, um, you know, to witness that, like, shit, man, like, things are going to go wrong, but you, you got your friends and your family to kind of guide. I mean, I feel like that industry, based off of listening to talks like that and AA, like, why would anyone want to fucking even think about But then you get a guy, Cal D, to spend there 18 years. Yeah, but even... I mean, it's, it's kind of weird, like, like yeah. uh, you know, I mean... But he, he's but also. But who thinks they're the next Caldeets? If you but, think you but are, but he's person, also not at a uh, major football right. school. He's at uh, you know hockey and this and Olympic sports, and he's really in his you know found not his the niche. football side. Not the football side. The yeah, reason being is because football turns over. New coaches come in. I mean, that's how they make their money. They, uh, you know, it's a 100% pressure situation. So you go in, you, you know, hearing double A's talk, I mean, you know, going in and, you know, winning national championships and having this great deal. And he's like, man, I was, I was burned out and uh, went to work for Sornex and, you know, crushes what they're doing. And, um, I mean, I just think it's a high-pressure job, and for those guys that can do it, the thing is, is as a strength coach, you attach to a head coach. The minute that head coach is in trouble – Fucking strength coaches out. And I guess not to dissuade any aspiring strength coaches out there, but I'm I'm sincerely curious, like, is there an end game or is this just something that you want to fucking sink your sink your teeth into and you want to be a part of a fucking lead it lead a team through their strength and conditioning and you want just want to be a part of that environment? Like it's just something that like a feather you want to stick in your cap, understanding that hey, this is only temporary and that I'm in a really fucking volatile position here there are no guarantees uh, and part of the challenge is the fight from school to school i don't know man not my fucking cup of tea i don't know i mean i i just think of the amount of turnover that i saw within strength coaches not only in college but in the nfl i mean it's a definitely a job that is great and when everybody's winning everything looks mm-hmm. great and this and if you can you know if you're bill belichick's strength coach you'll be fine right you know the problem is if it's uh you know I don't know, like, uh, you know, Pat Shermer, who was that, you know, you know, or, uh, who's the other guy? Um, uh, who's the guy, uh, was it Lane? Uh, 
Kiffin? Yeah, like like Elaine Kiffin, who was you know not even at the Raiders for an entire year. I mean, he bring his strength staff and they get rid of him. So, but Double A was his strength yeah, guy. I know. So a year at Tennessee and then a, yeah, a few he was his guy. But USC. but then he went to the Raiders and was in and out. So I think uh, you know as a strength coach, you look for longevity, which means like, hey, can I come in? Can I influence these guys? Can I, you know can I get through an entire cycle like what you know like a quad? Can I get through an entire draft class? You know, from the guys that I recruited and get them out the door, can I be here long enough to see one group come to fruition? And really, that's the mark. I mean, the problem is these guys are, you know, they're getting somebody else's recruits. They're trying to implement a new program. The minute they get a little traction, all of a sudden they're out. And I think that's just becomes very, very difficult uh, for not only strength coaches, because then they start catering to like what's going to keep them there. Instead of necessarily, you know, going like what like Caritzi did and sit down and say, hey, we're going to develop a program. and We're going to have these guys meet these demands. Yeah, I guess if you were assured a job path like Jim has at Kennesaw, that sounds like a fucking fun time. Like, he's got a cool thing going on there, right? They're on their fifth year, fourth year? They just completed the fourth going into fifth. Yeah, I guess probably starting training now. Yeah, yeah. That, like, his story and the connection he has with his athletes. And, like, I, I see how you might even just value the connection that you make, right, based off of hearing John, you talk about it and and former strength strength coaches talking about it, you create a connection with your athletes that probably is for like a lifelong deal, right? Yeah, no, I'm still friends. I still talk shit to Canavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still text him weird things. So, what the fuck do I know? Clearly nothing. Yeah, we've been saying that for years. Mm, but I think you're off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. Uh, but no, all in all, it was a great experience. Um, you know, just getting to connect with people. I really enjoyed throwing some axes. Uh, that was a cool part. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was definitely, definitely very good in terms of rebooting us and helping us get some new information and some new things to action. Yeah. As you guys have always heard me say, and, and probably not, not on this podcast, but, uh, whenever I hear somebody speak or I go to something, I always want them to leave me with something to action. Every time I hear you, you know, when you guys get up and speak or at the symposium, how was it? I'm like, you didn't give me anything to action. What's the takeaway? What do I need to change and implement? What's the one thing that you want your talk to hinge on? Cause that's all people remember. They remember one thing. Uh, you know, I mean, for me, I'm, I, I remember what Cal Dietz was talking about, but at the end of the day, like seeing the way that that single leg squat was taught and what he was doing in terms of like maximizing, like, uh, you know, resting heart rates and heart rate variability, you know, doing isometrics was, you know, I want to take that. Um, I think for a speaker, you know, like, um, you know, like Derek Woodsky. Uh, you know, Woodsky, yeah, who is, about that. yeah, Woodsky, incredible talk as always, you know, probably, you know, quite possibly one of the smartest men in the room, wherever he goes, gets so, up and gives a talk on, mm-hmm. you know, something that goes back into my history, which is the idea of, you know, what the Greeks first theorized with arguments, which was the ethos, pathos and logos. Well, it was just the, the, the framework was the power of myth. So creating a myth that you could follow and sure. then how to create communication to win like there, you know, versus just kind of the mistaking activity for achievement, right? Sure. And so he, he built this framework, and John, I'll pass back on. Yeah, so he, he built a framework, and uh, it was it was self-serving for what he was doing, and it was a very intelligent way he approached it, but um, it's not as it's not the way I understand it and the way that I've used it for you guys. So there was a little historical knowledge on how he's doing it, and I thought the talk was great. And um, as always, uh, he connects with people, but as I told him, I'm like, you need to always leave as to, to leave your mark and to influence people. The words are great, but people have small brains. I mean, we, we all do. We all are, you know, in this big environment, there's all these things going around. What's the takeaway? And, uh, it's something I search for in every one of my talks when I get up, like, 
here's what I want you guys to action. Listen to all these words, but at the end of the day, if you can action and make this one change, you can move closer to the goal, which I'm outlining. And, um, you know, for him, uh, you know, I took it away and I, I was really just interested in the idea that, uh, ethos path, you know, he built everything kind of off of passion, you know, that, um, you know, if you have this passion, you can develop the logical and you can develop the ethos. Whereas I understand it, like you develop your ethos, you can develop the other pieces. But at the end of the day, man, if you have passion of what you're doing, you can build around it. And, uh, you know, it kind of went with what's Birch talk, you know, be legendary, have passion and, you know, and, uh, you know, like create, like, cre- like create a myth that you can support, which he gave that great talk when, or when uh, at the symposium talking about the idea of like fantasy and not in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like you need to be able to like have the biggest dreams and see it in your mind's eye. Yeah, the myth. And, right? Yeah, like just have this like, you know, and he, he, he alluded to it calling it fantasy, which I thought was a little weird because, I mean, when we think fantasy, we think, I don't know, something more on the you know, kind of like a bigger, I don't know, maybe kinky stage or something. But like when he said, you know, I had to create these fantasies and I was like, fantasies, like what? And he's like, well, I had these big dreams. So that might be why I pivoted over to myth, right? I, I think it was hundred percent. Like the mythological, you know, I think it was a perfect pivot. And when he heard about creating the myth, like deciding what this myth, like, like what's, you know, if, if somebody had to sing your heroic epic, and this was one of our jokes, but from college, but like, you know, whenever they would go sing these tales of the heroic epic of like Beowulf and all these different ones, like you want somebody to be able to sing your tale years later and remember it. So like, what do you have to do to, for them to sing your myth? And it, part of that thing is to be able to do something of legendary status that people talk about. You know, we had Bill Kazmaier there and Bill Kazmaier is almost in his seventies and people still revere and talk about Kaz as if, you know, what he did, you know, I mean, it's still legendary. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he, you know, we were sitting at dinner and he was talking about like, Hey, I did this. He like, what do you say? He benched like five twenty five for a set of like twenty five, you know, squat. Like he was telling us these numbers, and I was like, what? Like, like that's not even feasible. Right. And and he's like, oh yeah, you know. And he was talking about like he did uh, two twenty five like a hundred times on the bench. He's like, you do some up here, you do some up here. He's flare your elbows, and you just, you know keep moving it around. I'm like, damn. Like <laughs> fucking strong. He, like, yeah. And he's still mythical yeah, strength. Yeah. He he is probably. Um, you can say what you want about like half Thor and Brian Shaw and those guys. Cause they're all like six fucking 10, 450 pounds. Uh, Kaz is probably the strongest man I think to ever walk the earth, at least in modern age, just from the numbers and what he was able to do. And just, you know, like seeing he's him, what six foot, six, four, six, mm-hmm. three, six, four. I, I thought he was six, four, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's probably t- still, still two seventy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think at one point he was 300 plus pounds. I mean, he like the, the numbers and the things he's done are just far exceeding what any other humans done. I mean, Zangus used to talk about him as if he was like something of like, an, you know, of another dimension. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's he's from another dimension. No, it's cool. And what he's up to now is he's, I guess, traveling around to schools. Right. And just kind of instilling work ethic and, you know, don't be such a fucking pussy type mentality with these a lot of grade schools. And like what his big thing was, he did what he visited 30 something schools in two days. Wasn't that what he said? He yeah, went to like the crazy. 30 schools and tore 30 fucking phone books or bent 30 t- yeah. bolts or something. You know, and these kids just <laughs> fucking love him because he's a monster. But I, I mean, I can remember I was never like a world's strongest man. Oh, I was fan. Like I never like and, and it. it never inspired me to lift weights and or anything like that. But my old man and I, we would flick it on and be like, huh, let's watch this one. And like I fucking remember Kaz as being like him always fucking just stacking up these fucking 
Do you remember uh, when he was ways. in the sumo when they had the sumo contest with Cass? I think I do. So he they, they were in like the traditional sumo like mm-hmm. you know G string looking things, and uh, he literally gets down. I just remember this, and uh, he looked like a silverback gorilla, mm-hmm. like his traps and like his physical development, his standing there in that thing. You were like, and he, and these guys like hit him, and he took off running, and he was just literally just driving these people into the ground. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that piece of like seeing Kaz and then like uh, things of like. Just the, any of the weird stuff. And then I even remember him as the announcer, and he was still bigger than all the dudes. Yeah, yeah. So pretty epic, man. And he was talking about, you know, fucking doing some of that shit with um, Texas on YouTube right now, watching Bill Kazmaier versus John Gamble sumo wrestling. But they, John Gamble's pretty damn look, big. Look how big Kaz is. Look at his remember traps. Remember when he's like, he, oh, these aren't traps. This is the fucking Himalayas and the Swiss Alps. Remember? He's fucking <laughs> look how big he is. I mean, he can't even stand... So he's wearing like a he's, black sumo garb. His uh, his traps actually connect to his ears. Four point he, stance. Did you see that little stutter stance? Oh, and he dominated. just dominates oh, he, these huge dudes. Bill Kazmaier, John look at his, Gamble, look at sumo his traps. wrestling. Yeah, uh, he, he's yeah. I mean, just he's such a he's he's a phenomenal dude. But uh, it was it was cool to see that legend, man. And you know, I'm I'm not like a big like, hey, take a picture with me, guy. You know, like, and I don't blame people for doing yeah. it. I just not I'm not that guy. Shook the guy's hand, and uh, like, I kind of regret not just being like, hey, man, can I get a picture with you? Because yeah. every fucking person was there. But I don't know. You like got to shake his fucking hands, his big fucking burly paws, and uh, he you did know. have the thickest hands. Like mm-hmm. his 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 uh. uh palm thickness was like i shook his hand and was mm-hmm. like holy shit this dude had the thickest palms of anybody i ever met so hopefully like, w- it was probably double the thickness of my hands like it was like double like this even though his hands were smaller than mine his palms were twice as thick and i was like this is fucking weird it like mm-hmm. felt like he was wearing like gloves i'm like this is he's just a massive dude and he's still and he's like 70 years old and still fucking massive yeah so it was cool all around man it, for us it was just like a nice vacation right a nice vacation where you get an Airbnb with one fucking bedroom for John and force everybody else to sleep in the same bunk room. Right? Pretty much. Yeah. So well, you, you were the one that said, hey, make good on that place. That looks great. And it was a great place. It oh, actually it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, I would have been. I mean, what are you talking about? You guys slept down the hallway or in. in oh, the yeah. Because we had freaking Harry Chain Shaw. Yeah. We're yeah, snoring. The Chain Shaw. The Chain Shaw. Chain yeah. Shaw. <laughs> This is Not me, nickname. dude. I purr like a fucking small kitten. Wait, you can sleep through that freaking uh-huh. thunderstorm. Well, the reason being is he's used to sleeping next to the Sandman. Oh, geez. Don't get me started on the fucking Sandman. Oh, grinding her teeth, taking up all the space. Then you got those two fucking dogs that aren't disciplined sleeping in my space. I got a fucking six-inch strip on the edge of this fucking yeah, mattress. Don't ever let dogs or kids sleep in your bed. Nah, those, yeah, the dogs are fucking it up. Anyways, ah, fuck it. Enough about us. Now on to the show. John, welcome to Power <laughs> Special guest. Oh, wait, special guest Luke Summers. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, oh, look. yeah, you're our special mm-hmm. guest. Mm-hmm. So. No, right. that is it, people. Uh, strongly encourage you to hit up Summer Strong, which is the yin to the yang of the Power, the Power Athlete Symposium. Symposium yang. Right? And, uh, and thank you to everyone who came up, and it was awesome to meet you there. You know, we probably didn't mention a few people. One thing that Dobby did say, the guy who organized the whole event when we were leaving, like, we were, I think we were the last ones for him to talk to before he was, like, fucking completely pulled the ripcord on that, e- that weekend. He goes, man, 
everywhere I fucking looked, there was someone in a black T-shirt and Vans. He's like, you guys fucking rolled deep. And that's right, Power Athlete Nation, we do. So it was awesome talking to you. And if we missed you, sorry, we'll see you next time. And hell, we better see you at the Power Athlete Symposium, December 7th, 8th, and 9th, people. So powerathletehq.com slash symposium. Check it out. But until then, bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. The two biggest events of the year, for sure, are Soranek Summer Strong and the Power Athlete Symposium. Join us in December for our very own reunion of sorts, where speakers blow minds and Rudy Reyes violates virtually every dress code everywhere he goes. There is, however, a third event this year worth note. Our very own Luke Summers and Ashley Patkey are getting hitched this very weekend. And in the spirit of family and friends and strength, we'd like to wish these two amazing power athletes all the best in their life together. Until next time, bye!